Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Baseball. As always, I'm your host, Arm Layton. I'm one of the co-founders of JustBaseball.com, as well as a prospect writer and analyst. And in today's episode, we are going to be talking about some breakout pitching prospects moving forward for this season. I know we were going to talk a little bit of Marlins potentially. That is coming. Don't worry, my Marlins fans out there. We will be talking about the Marlins system soon. We had to make a little shift of schedule. I really apologize for the fluidity of this schedule with MLB camp with a lot of prospects trying to crack the roster. The schedules have been a bit uncertain. MJ Melendez is still scheduled for Wednesday. Very much looking forward to that and hope that will be able to happen. Uh, But also, we have had a little bit of an adjustment on the just base side of things. We're interviewing Robert Flores today. Uh, so that is something that Jack and I are going to have to do at one o'clock. Uh, so there's just a lot of things going on. Uh, Jack was not available to talk Marlins. And I know he really wanted to talk about that system with me. So I'm going to save that for him. And honestly, I've been really eager to talk about breakout pitching prospects, and this is more in the weeds and lesser on Jack's radar. So I'm excited to get into this, especially after we did breakout hitting prospects. So there are some very, very exciting names that I want to talk about because this is always a good opportunity before the season to clue you guys into some of the players or prospects that you should be watching and keeping an eye on and expecting to break out, whether it's just for fun and guys that you can be uh, following before the rest of the baseball world starts to catch on, or it helps you from your dynasty fantasy perspective, or you want to know who's next for your team, or you want to invest in cards. Although I know people don't love to invest in pitching cards. All of those reasons are good reasons to follow along here. And I have Pitching prospects from all over the map uh, to discuss here. And we're going to start with a pitching prospect from the Arizona Diamondbacks, a former first round pick compensation pick 34 overall back in 2019. It's Dre Jameson and Dre Jameson was really good last year, but I feel like he did not get enough love. And I say breakout because he wasn't lights out in terms of the ERA or the FIP. If you look at those two figures, he was around the four range. I believe he had a 3.98 ERA, 4.1 FIP. So that is not quite dominant enough to get people outside of the Diamondback circles talking about him. But I think he's going to put it all together this coming year in a way that 
we will see the FIP and ERA lower and the strikeout numbers will remain extremely high. They got better as the year went on. I'll get into his stuff in a second, but let me just give you some of the other metrics. 31% K rate, 7.8% walk rate. So a 23.5 K minus BB percentage is fantastic. A 1.21 whip is a little bit higher than you'd like to see. He did have some bad BABIP luck. Batting average on balls in play was 320. That is a little bit higher than you'd expect. I wouldn't chalk it all up to bad luck, though. I think he does. I know he does give up a little bit of loud contact. Home runs were a bit of an Achilles heel for him last year. 15 home runs in those 110 innings, roughly. And home runs don't count towards BABIP, but it's an example of how he can give up loud contact. And of course, loud line drives, hard hit balls are always going to have a higher batting average on balls in play. So when you're giving up 15 home runs in 110 innings, it's a little bit of a clue into the louder contact that he gives up. The walks weren't that bad for him. 36 walks in 110 and two thirds innings, not bad at all. The strikeouts were fantastic, 145 in those 110 innings. What I really like about Jameson is the pitch profile. The fastball is a lot better than I think people think. It is crazy. He sits about 96.5 miles per hour. He'll run it up to 99. He can flirt with triple digits, which is crazy. I feel like it's one of the more anonymous upper 90s, almost touching 100 fastballs that you're going to see in the minor leagues. Beyond that, his fastball has a fantastic profile. It is a riser. And those are the fastballs. If you're 96 to 98 with a rising fastball at about 2,400 RPMs, you are going to have success with that pitch. And he had success with that pitch. The problem is, at times, when you struggle to command it in terms of where you are hitting your spots, control versus command, right? Control is just throwing it over the plate. Command is hitting your spot. That is where Jameson got burned at times because those rising fastballs play well up in the zone. But if you miss over the middle and hitters are hunting that, they're going to take you deep. On the flip side, it is a pitch that you can get a lot of swing and miss on, which he did. And you can also freeze guys at the knees a lot. Think about it from this perspective. Those fastballs are always going to drop. Any fastball is going to drop vertically because nothing can travel 60 feet, six inches without dropping at least a little bit. The less that it drops, the more it looks like it is traveling faster. And that's why we look at that pitch profile and the limited vertical drop that it has and how that's so advantageous to a pitcher and makes the VLO seem even higher. That's something that he did a great job of. What I really liked when I watched Jameson is he got those swings and misses up, but he's also very comfortable pitching down in the zone, froze a lot hitters at the knees with that fastball because if it starts belt high you're expecting it to drop out of the strike zone just naturally out of the hand it starts where you think it's going to come in a trajectory where it's maybe belt high a little bit lower but it stays on a line really well and it freezes guys at the knees that's a great advantage that he has there and he has no fear of locating it lower as well Uh, what also works for him is his pair of breaking balls he has two really good breaking balls that I think are going to be weapons for him at the big league level could be legit big league pitches for him. Jameson has a sweeping slider that he throws a bit more frequently in the upper 80s and it is nasty a devastating pitch to righties and then he has a more vertical breaking curveball it's it's 
Got some sweep as well. It's a bit slurvy, and at times the two pitches can blend a little bit together, but I think the curveball, he doesn't use it as much, but it is downright nasty and just about an unhittable pitch. It's harder to locate for a called strike, and that's why we see Jamison go to the slider more, but that curveball is really, really nasty. Nobody was able to do much with it that year. Opponents this past season were about one for 35 against it, if I'm not mistaken, and while they were slightly better against the slider, it wasn't that great there either. The OPS against was still sub 500. The changeup needs work, and that's the big, I guess, fourth pitch for him. But I think Jamison can succeed with the fastball, slider, and curveball as his three main pitches while just sprinkling in the changeup. But that pitch is going to need to improve overall. I still like Jamison a lot. I think he's going to be a guy that really bursts onto the scene this year, using that curveball a bit more, commanding the fastball a bit better. And if the changeup does turn into even an average pitch, then this guy could be one of the more dominant minor league pitchers this coming season. That's how high the ceiling is. And I'm very excited. Excited to see what he'll do over there in Arizona. He finished the year last year in double A, could end up getting a chance at the big league level at some point at the second half of the season. He made eight starts in double A to pretty decent success. I assume he'll repeat in double A. If he has success there, we could see him at the triple A level, then big leagues uh, quicker and sooner rather than later. Keep an eye out for Dre Jameson. Next up is a Marlins pitching prospect. So for the Marlins fans who were a bit disappointed that we didn't get too deep into the Marlins system today, here's a a little taste of what you'll be getting when we talk about the Marlins system. Dax Fulton is a guy I'm really expecting to have a monster year this year. I've heard really good things about him uh, from Folks at the Marlins camp, he's still just 20 years old and was part of that ridiculous 2020 Marlins draft class of just all arms in the shortened draft that were fantastic, included Kyle Nicholas, Zach McCambly, of course, Max Meyer, among a couple other great picks, Jake Eater as well, who has been wonderful, but on the shelf with Tommy John surgery. Dax Fulton was on the shelf with Tommy John surgery when he was drafted. He was on the mend. The Marlins took over his... I guess, recovery process, and he eventually made his debut in 2021. He was able to make about 19 starts. I think he made 20 appearances, and he was really solid given the circumstances. We're talking about a high school arm, a lefty who is 6'7", 225 pounds, and is coming off of Tommy John surgery. He was very successful in low A. In those 14 starts, 15 appearances, 58 and two-thirds innings, 10 strikeouts. Command was a bit of an issue. I'm okay with that. We're talking about a six foot seven lefty who is coming off of Tommy John surgery. That is a very big adjustment to make at the major league level. He skipped rookie ball essentially though and goes straight to low A. And yes, he did walk about 11% of batters, but he also struck out 25% of batters being younger than his competition and the walk rate continued to improve as the season went on. He eventually got called up to high A, struggled to miss bats at the same rate, still did rack up more than eight strikeouts per nine, but did not strike out as many guys as he did in low A. But the fact that the 19-year-old was able to get to high A and actually improved his walk rate by about a full walk per nine is extremely encouraging. Again, this is a guy that the Marlins were pretty aggressive with given the circumstances of just being a young lefty high school guy on top of coming off of Tommy John surgery. The fastball, it's sits about 92 to 94. We've seen him touch a five or six. I think the velo will continue to tick up given that he's six, seven and has pretty smooth mechanics. The curveball is fantastic. It's a power curve in the low eighties with good bite to it. And then the changeup 
already looks more advanced than you'd expect from a young arm. It's average right now, flashes above average, and I think could be a comfortably above average pitch. The fastball and curveball should both be plus. And if you have a lefty, a 6'7 lefty with a plus fastball, plus curveball, and an average to above average changeup, all that needs to come along is the command, and you have a really solid middle rotation lefty here, still just 20 years old and already has five starts under his belt at the high A level. I expect him to repeat high A, but I think he's going to be a force there in high A and quickly get the yank up to double A. If he does struggle, I'm not that concerned about it. I still like him as a breakout guy because I think he will really settle in as the year goes on and have a wonderful second half. I'm not really expecting him to struggle, though. I think he's ironed out some of the mechanical things. I think his velo is going to be up a little bit. I think the changeup is going to be even further along. The curveball didn't even need to come any further along than it already was. It's pretty darn good, but he'll continue to command it better. This is a dude that I think could explode for the Marlins, and their track record has been phenomenal developing arms, and he's part of an already proven draft class there for the fish and they recently developed quite a good tall lefty themselves with Trevor Rogers. Next up is a guy in the American League and it is a pitcher who was recently drafted in the first round by the Cleveland Guardians. So it's a bit of a cop out. I will wear that one, but I think he's still going to exceed everybody's expectations. Gavin Williams of the Cleveland Guardians. He was just drafted 23rd overall. I know, I know, but I still think he is very possibly going to be the most dominant pitcher out of that draft class right out of the gate. If not Jack Leiter, I think it's Gavin Williams. That's how much I like this guy. We ranked him seventh in the Guardian system, which is just a testament to the Guardians. If you remember us talking about the system, the only reason Gavin Williams is seventh is because you have Tyler Freeman, then you have Stephen Kwan, then you have Brian Rocchio, then you have Gabriel Arias, then you have George Valera, and then you have Daniel Espino. That's the only reason. Any other system, he's a top five prospect, and I was floored when I went back and watched even more of his footage at East Carolina. I watched him pitch through the Super Regional and watched him dominate some of the best lineups in baseball, watched him go pitch for pitch with Kumar Rocker, but man, was his fastball electric by season's end. 96 to 98 miles per hour by the end of that collegiate season. 81 and a third's innings. He pitched to a 1.88 ERA, 0.95 whip, 14.4 Ks per nine, and only walked 2.3 per nine. That's what really impresses me is he was, and we're seeing so many more guys like this in college that were relievers for the first couple years, then really have it click their junior season. And all of a sudden, it is just a dominating type of performance day in and day out, or I guess every fifth day from these guys. Gavin Williams was exactly that. And I'm sold on what we saw. Yes, he leaned on the fastball 65% of the time in college, but he didn't really need to lean on anything else because of how dominant that fastball was. Here's the thing, though. It wasn't because he did not have secondaries that he could actually trust or use. It's just that the fastball was such a ridiculously dominant pitch for him that he didn't really need to go to the secondaries too much, but he has legit, legit secondaries. The curveball is already plus, in my opinion, if not just a hair below it, already flashes plus more than enough. It's in the upper 70s with 11.5 bite that just falls off the table. He also has an above average slider with late sharp movement to it that he locates much better for cold strikes. And then we didn't see much of the changeup. Again, why would you use it uh, when you have those three pitches? He only sprinkled it in about 3% of the time, but I'm definitely eager to see how he continues to develop that pitch. I'll say this, 
the Cleveland Guardians have done a great job at developing pitchers who have already shown a feel for four pitches, right? Like they look for guys with four pitches and typically want to develop their stuff more or guys that have a feel for three already and then develop that stuff up a tick. They already have a guy whose stuff is there. If they can help him develop that change up, the world is his oyster, but he already has the two breaking balls to fall back on and a dominant fastball as well. Big body dude at about 6'6", 240. The command is way ahead of what I thought it would be. I'm very excited about this guy, and I really think he is right on the cusp of being a top 100 guy. The only reason why he's not is just the limited track record of collegiate success in that one breakout season, but I'm pretty sold on what I saw from Gavin Williams, and you also pair that with the organization he is with. Look out for this dude. Back to another pitching factory, but on the other side, on the other league, it is the L.A. Dodgers, and I've got a pair of arms from L.A. who I think can break out. I'm not going to talk about a lot of the guys from last year that already were pretty solid. I'm not going to talk about Landon Knack, though I think he's going to take another step forward. I'm not going to talk about those guys. I think Bobby Miller is going to take another step forward, too, because those aren't breakout guys. They were already pretty darn good, who I think can break out is Gavin Stone. That's prospect number one here. And Stone is a guy with great stuff, as all of the guys are that I'm going to talk about here. And also, he was good last year. He was really solid last year. But I don't think he pitched enough above low A to disqualify himself from that breakout candidacy. Stone was a fifth round pick in 2020's shortened draft. I believe one of the final picks of the entire draft, uh, maybe the second to last guy that was selected, if I'm not mistaken, but was really darn good last year in his pro debut. He was great in low A, carved up hitters, and then was solid in, in high A. Overall, between the two levels, ERA was about at 378, so not quite as dominant in the ERA department, but the swing and miss stuff was great. The walk rate continued to improve as the season went on and talk about a guy that had really bad luck on batting average on balls in play 390 something on batting average and balls in play that is a bit too high and I think that he is going to regress to the mean in that department which means he will be better off in the other departments he doesn't give up a crazy amount of loud contact I don't see him giving up a ton of line drives and hard hit balls like some of the other guys that are high BABIP victims so I really think Gavin Stone's going to take it to another level this coming season I love the mechanics he's smooth he attacks you from a low release point the fastball is lively at about 94 to 96 miles per hour. He also has a slider in the upper 80s that is nasty. It's a gyro breaking slider, which means it is more of that dropping slider that just dips right under your barrel instead of that horizontal breaking pitch. Then he also has a curveball that he mixes in and a changeup that he mixes in. So he already has so many different ways he can come at you, and all of these pitches look really good. What's crazy is the changeup might be the best pitch of all, and the fact that the changeup is ahead or could be ahead of the other offerings is extremely encouraging because I love the slider. I love those gyro-type sliders when you have the lively fastball up in the zone, the changeup and the curveball. Look out for Gavin Stone, especially, again, when you have all of those things rolling for you and you're in a development system that, one, identifies talent really well and, two, develops it really well. I'm expecting Gavin Stone to make that leap this coming season. He'll start the year possibly in double A because he's already 23 years old, but we know the Dodgers are weird with pitchers. Another guy that is 
already looking electric. I saw him out on the Cape, and he looks like a different pitcher uh, since I've seen him. Nick Nestrini. Nick Nestrini was a guy that was a bit under the radar and was not one of the more highly touted guys in his draft class, but it started to really emerge as an exciting arm that people are paying attention to. 2021 draft, fourth round pick, 131st overall. Fastball is plus plus. It is absolutely electric. He will run it up to 99. It has a lot of life on it, about 2,500 RPMs. It averages about 96.5 miles per hour. The slider is devastating. The curveball has crazy, crazy vertical drop to it. It just bites off the table. And then he mixes in a changeup here and there as well. There's some reliever risk with Nick Nestrini, but the guy is disgusting. And the fact that he has that fastball and slider combination that I think is ready for a big league bullpen right now, or fastball curveball, it depends which of the two you like, and they can blend together at times. But the fact that he has those two pitches working for him behind the fastball as well, he could be devastating right now in a bullpen. But I I think that they may want to develop him a bit more and stretch him out. Maybe. We'll see. Here's the crazy numbers with Nestrini. He pitched 13 innings in low A, 13 innings in low A, and punched out 30. Yeah, I'm going to let that like sit in for a second. 13 innings in low A and struck out 30 batters. That's outrageous. That's 21 strikeouts per nine almost. He has crazy, crazy stuff. Look out for Nick Nestrini. And even if he's a bullpen arm, He could be a closer type guy. Let's see if they try to stretch him out. I think they will try. And if they do, he could be a devastating starter as well. Very similar potentially to a Matt Brash type who, oh my gosh, was he good the other day. 22 pitches, 22 strikes. Put that man in the rotation at number five. That's where I think he should be to start the year. And he might be pretty early. I'm going to wrap up with some exciting baseball card news and very exciting for me because these are guys that I've been talking about a lot on the show that are finally getting cards and I'm very excited to start scooping these up and these are the guys in the new Bowman Baseball flagship product who will be in the set most likely and are already for sure in the 2022 Bowman first edition baseball set which is usually a clue into what the flagship set will have as well the flagship which has more autographs in it should be out April 27th barring any uh, pushbacks and Of course, Khalil Watson was a guy that was withheld from the last from the Bowman draft box, so he will be in there. Watson has looked insane on the backfield. It has been so, so good. But some of my favorite under-the-radar names are now getting put on the radar and are guys that I'm going to be able to collect now. I'm very excited, and I'll tell you a couple of the guys that I am planning to collect on eBay and who I'm looking for either for box break spots on eBay or just buying the entire boxes and ripping it because there's so many players in this checklist that I really like. I am so pumped that Jacanti Noel finally has a card because Noel is going to be a problem offensively for a while. I mean, that guy absolutely punishes baseball. Is very excited to see him in there. He's a little bit more high risk. He's not top of the list of guys that I'm going after. Curtis Mead has a baseball card finally. So I am waiting for the Curtis Mead cards to hit eBay. They're starting to already. And that's a guy that I will be buying up in bunches because he is so high floor, still love the ceiling as an impact high batting average bat that could trickle in 20 home runs and play all over the diamond potentially. Curtis Mead is a guy I'm very excited to be scooping up. If you want a little bit more upside but uh, or but risk as well, Roberto Campos. Roberto Campos of the 
Detroit Tigers was a name that I was consistently waiting to see hop into some packs here, but he had not played much above the rookie ball level, so was not on the radar. Now is. That's a name that you could probably get on the cheap right now, and I really like the bat. I like the tools, but that is a guy that you're going to have to wait a while to really pay the dividends or, or, I guess, cash in the dividends. The guy that I am maybe most excited about in this entire checklist, who I have no idea why it took him this long to get a card, George Valera of the Cleveland Guardians. I will be buying up all of his cards. I'm just just letting you know. If you see somebody on eBay snatching up George Valera cards, it's me. Uh, and I, I'm so excited for him to finally have a card because I'm extremely excited about what he is as a prospect. Another one that... Look, if, I'll tell you this. If you pull him, hold on to it. Uh, but I don't know if it's going to be worth it to buy his cards because they're already going for so much. The hype has already started to mount for Ellie De La Cruz. But he is in this box as well. This is an insane checklist. Ellie De La Cruz, outfield prospect with the Reds. I mean, the tools are insane. You've heard us talk about them when we talked about the red system. Plus, plus runner, switch hitter, plus, plus raw power. Uh, crazy arm can really, really do a lot of things, but he's also very raw uh, and has a long way to go and could easily flame out, but also could be a superstar. Like, he's one of the widest range of outcome guys you're going to find. Uh, but people are already piling on to his cards. I'm seeing his spots and box breaks go for the most by far. I'm seeing a lot of people hunting Ellie De La Cruz. If you pull it, hold on to it. I mean, if you want to cash in, definitely do it because it's valuable, but I would hold on to it because he could turn into one of the most exciting prospects in the game. He's already going to be a guy that's probably top 50 for us, top 60 for us, but ultimately uh, you don't know. His floor is not as high as some of these other guys, so it depends how risk tolerant you are, but holy crap. What a fun list. And that's not even getting to some of the other guys. you got like Eddie's Leonard. You've got some other prospects as well, like Wilman Diaz, Matt Frazier. There's a lot of very fun prospects in this list, and I definitely encourage you to check it out. Also, Dustin Harris of the Texas Rangers, another high floor bat that I really like. So watch out for some of these prospects in this checklist. The flagship product comes out April 27th. If you want to get the first edition also, that is out now. A little bit more expensive. I like to wait for the flagship, but those are all names you should be looking for. They will be up on eBay individually. A lot of the players are probably already up now, uh, but the spots and box breaks, or if you just want to buy the boxes yourself and rip it, this is a box that I would really encourage you to buy and just rip because you're going to get a lot of value. And I think the value, the price is going to continue to go up on these boxes. The way I talk about the 2019 draft class, uh, that's continued to age well, and that price has continued to go up. I think we're going to see a similar thing with this 2022 Bowman product. Because of how insanely loaded this whole checklist is, high upside guys, some guys that are already well known, but some guys that I think are going to be on a lot of people's radar very soon and will bump the price up of this whole thing as everybody starts hunting those prospects. Definitely check that out on eBay. As always, thank you for listening. Uh, interview, most likely, with MJ Melendez on Wednesday. I think you're really going to enjoy that. Man, is that guy an absolute stud. He looks great in spring training. Should be in the big leagues to start the season, but I don't think he will because uh, baseball is weird like that. He is ready to go, though, and I've, I mean, you will like what you hear from MJ Melendez from a mental standpoint as well when we talk. Looking forward to that. Hope you are, too, and I look forward to talking prospects with you on Wednesday. Say goodbye 
your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.